Hey, thank you. Good morning. It's so weird, because there's moments where I'd be like, man, don't stop singing on account of me. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I literally was thinking about this this morning um, as I was praying and prepping. I was praising God. And maybe you heard me say it, Diamond, in the house as I was just walking through yelling and stuff. Um, but I was like, God, I am so glad that you did not give me the gift of singing. Because we would get no work done. Let me just go ahead and say that right now. One, if I was on the team, we get no work done. Uh, uh, but then two, like preaching? <laughs> I would stop halfway in every single time, um, especially in moments like this. Wasn't that just, guys, um, don't, don't, yeah, yeah. Online, I don't know if you, if you heard the sound through there clearly, but in Jesus' name, um, it was, was Liddy. If you have a Bible, uh, grab it and meet me in the gospel according to, I just started my time, the gospel according to um, Matthew. Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be particularly uh, today. And so what we're doing right now, um, we are stepping away just for today. We're going to step back into it next week. But for today, we are stepping away from Colossians um, to, to deal with uh, a few things. Now, um, again, we're, we're stepping back in next week. But Mondays, grab a Bible, grab a journal, and use it as an opportunity to just pray and process and really prepare, in particular, for weeks that I'm preaching. Um, and so this Monday, in that moment of praying and processing, it became clear um, very clear that God was leading us in a different direction. Now, honestly, I thought that direction was going to take us to Joshua chapter 1 and just wrestling with that, fr that phrase, that hazak va'amas, right? That be strong and very uh, courageous, this comprehensive collision of resolve and and courage, where, where God says it to Joshua, Joshua says it to the people, and the people say it back uh, to him, and you just get this collapsing, this enveloping of courage to dare to dream attached to who God is. I thought that's where we were going to be. Uh, there is a sermon in there somewhere. Maybe it comes out in the fall or in 2022. We will see. But through wrestling and praying. I mean, I'm talking about wrestling and praying up until even Friday night, Saturday morning. It just seemed like God was leading us in a different direction, uh, leading us into the direction of Matthew 11, a very familiar passage for so many of us. Listen, the words that Jesus gives they just wash over us. Man, everything changes. There's such a freedom and a, a resolve just to just receive what he says. And I have on my heart a lot to say. And truth be told, there's calls to action work that needs to be done for us as a church, that as we look at the summer, it's like, man, really, there's a few things that we want people to do with a few people over the next few months. If we do a few things with a few people over the next few months, we could experience greater health 
and meaningful depth of relationship and press towards community life and strength, and we are after that. But rather than just dump on us actions, it became clear that we need to recenter and recover a radical understanding of rest. That the rest God offers, he invites us into, is to be cherished, to be embraced, to, to be received, to be energized, and then to live and work from. What we see in Matthew 11 is this profound, comprehensive, dynamic rest. And God invites people to receive, to cherish it, to embrace it, and to live and work from it. Don't miss the live and work part. It matters. That if we allow God to define rest well, what we see is God's rest redefines work for us. It moves work from something that defines us to something we get to do. God's rest allows work to be just something we get to do, not something that gets to define us. So there's work to be done, but it flows out of resting well. So much here. As we work through the text, it's been doing work in me, did work in me, first service. I think what would be helpful for us to just receive it well is if we look at it from a few categories. I want to sit three categories on this text. First category is this text provides a window into weariness. Second category is this text provides a picture into this comprehensive and dynamic rest Jesus invites people into. Third category, this text provides this tender and fierce call to action. And it will close with some comforts and challenges that this text has for us. And so that, I think that would be the best uh, flow of our time, this window into weariness, this picture of this comprehensive and dynamic rest, this tender and fierce call to action, closing with some comforts and challenges. And prayerfully, I don't get lost in the midst of it. Uh, but if I do, amen. Read with me, and then we'll get to work. Um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 reads like this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart. If you know, just underline, start at that portion. That's really what's been doing work in me. I had me crying in a coffee shop. People looking at it like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's just choking on my espresso. Underline that. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Y'all still with me? Familiar passage. The tenderness and ferocity 
that I feel sits on this text is all throughout this passage. And we often miss it. This passage is loaded, full of a lot of confrontations and moments that have this crescendo, climactic feel to them. Even from the beginning, you have this confrontation where we get to see John the Baptist interacting with messengers that he sent to Jesus. If you're familiar with John the Baptist, he is the cousin of Jesus. John the Baptist is sitting in a prison cell awaiting his execution. And John the Baptist is in this prison cell because he spoke truth to power that he stared at what was wrong, he stared at what was undermining the beauty of the God who is, and he said something about it. Unwilling to give an inch as to give off an impression of the kingdom that is false. Not yielding, because as Neil said last week, the kingdom of God bows to no one. So John the Baptist is in this prison cell awaiting his execution, staring at his death, and doubt creeps into his heart. And so he sends messengers, look, Jesus, I know we're cousins. I know you're the Messiah. I know I said of you. I'm not even worthy to tie your sandals, but I need you to make sense of what's happening right now. Are you the Messiah, or should we wait for someone else? Real doubt from a giant in the faith. And Jesus meets this doubt with tenderness. Hey, tell John everything that you see. Blind having their eyes open, sick being healed, vulnerable being cared for. Oh yeah, he's going to die, but he's not forgotten. Showing us over and over and over again that we should never deny doubt or be enslaved to doubt. It exists in all of us, and it comes for us all, no matter who we are. But until we are humbled by doubt, we can never really be embraced fully by grace. John is exhibiting that. That's in this passage. It's fierce, it's tender, keeps going. There's this generational indictment that Jesus is making, specifically towards the Pharisees, but really it's everybody partaking in this system. And he's like, yo, what will I compare this generation to? It's like children in the marketplace that they called out to their playmates to play, but they really didn't want to play. So we played the flute and you didn't want to sing. And we sang a dirge, you didn't want to dance and join along with, because really, the issue was you wanted ultimate control. What Jesus is saying is, this generation, which is like our generation, if we're honest, the issues we have with Jesus aren't really what he says. The issues we have is we want to replace him. We want to be him. We want to empty him of his control, and Jesus is like, I love you too much for that. Because you, in control, redefining me, having me on your terms, God, on your terms, is you on the throne. 
and it doesn't end well, ever. And the love of God says, I, I will not allow for you to exist in that space. It's a confrontation, it is tender, it is fierce, yet the apex of this passage isn't that. The apex of Matthew 11, the climax of this entire scene is a different type of confrontation where Jesus is staring at weariness and that which burdens and people who are tired, who are fatigued, who are oppressed, who are exhausted, and he is confronting the weariness and the burden, and he is saying, it does not get the final say. And he is not just confronting all of that, he is providing a powerful promise and an invitation, you could have rest. Pause. If you are cognitively aware of your fatigue, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, relationally, if you are cognitively, cognitively aware of your exhaustion, hear those words, come to me. Come to me. What's beautiful here is that the way this text was written, I was talking to Kyler about it, you know, Kyler is like my Greek nerd. I'm like, Kyler, I want to triple check my Greek, holla at me, and he's just, oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, and so just the way this text is written is so fascinating. But what is, what is beautiful is that when you get to that space, verse 28, labor and heavy laden, the way it's written is fascinating. It actually doesn't put the focus on what is producing the weariness or the burden, right? The focus isn't on what's producing the weariness or the burden. The focus is on the condition of weariness and burden. The focus is on what the people are experiencing, which means quite practically, it really doesn't matter what brought you to the place of being weary or burdened. The offer is still the same, rest. In fact, the best way to understand this passage is Jesus is saying, anyone wearied by the burdens of life, you come to me. And I got something for you. Rest. If you know that you're exhausted, this is good news. But some of us are not aware of our own weariness which is why this provides a window into weariness. Let me explain it like this. And I could share this illustration uh, because I feel like this is a safe place. I'm among family, even online, amen. And I got permission from my dad to share this illustration, so praise God. Me and my dad have a great relationship now. When I was growing up, though, in Jesus' name, not so good. That was on me, not him. I remember the day I found out my dad um, slept with his eyes open. Freaked me out completely freaked me out. It was actually the day, first and last time, I tried to fight my dad. So here's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it was a stupid situation. And he was just saying something. I was like, you know what? What's up? And so I was just ready. Yeah, this is how I squared my dad up. That was my fighting posture. 
And he was like, So you, so you want to fight me? I, I cannot my leave my son. And out of nowhere, he just snuck me. So I dropped. I hit that. Like, and I'm like, oh, he's faster than I, I imagined. Yeah. And it was a bad situation. And so eventually he gets up and he's like, ah, this is my son. I'm so disappointed in you. Go kneel down. So that like was a Nigerian version of Ajinu, right? If you're a Creole, are you familiar with and y'all are getting re-traumatized in this moment. Be free. Be free, guys, all right? I was able like and, and so like go kneel down, hands in the sky, and he's like, if you move, ah, this night. And I was like, all right, so I'm not gonna move. Kneeling down, hands up, and he's on the couch laying down, and I'm like, man, I'm here for a while. So an hour passes and he's not moving, eyes open. I'm like, yo, brother, you know? About 30 more minutes pass, and he's still not moving. And I, in my mind, at this point, I'm like, yo, I'm about to risk it. He snuck me, you know what I mean? I'm clearly taller than him. I've been lifting. This is me getting ready to enter into a different athletic space. So really, I just need a clean shot, and it's a wrap. So I'm telling myself all of this as I get up, and he doesn't move, and I'm like, that's weird. So I go up to him, I'm like, ah, you played me. Like, you asleep the whole time. Freaked me out. Now, why do I tell that story? Is it because it's hilarious? It is hilarious. Praise God. Is it because I want you to pray for my children and my wife? Yes. You could do that too. I look at Noah and I'm terrified at times. I'm like, you have my DNA. Bless him. Those reasons are true. But I also tell it because I believe that that is a picture for most of us. Sleeping with our eyes wide open. Spiritually. In so many respects. But also in a sense, we are tired. We are exhausted. But our eyes are open and we're doing stuff and nobody can tell the difference unless they stare well. And then it becomes obvious because you get a window into the weariness. Let me help us stare. You know you're tired when, or you may be tired if, a few things, physically, emotionally, spiritually. You know you're tired when, or you may be tired if, physically, tasks take longer than they typically would. Some of you are like, well, that's just because I'm getting older. It's not because your bones are brittle. It's because your soul is exhausted. You know you're tired when, you may be tired if, physically, a few hours of sleep feel like a few thousand years. You snuck a nap in, and it was amazing. And you're like, why does this feel like I've been asleep forever? Because you're not sleeping, and you're tired. You know you're tired when, or you may be tired if, emotionally, the fuse for patience is shorter. You're irritable. You know those commercials where people are hangry? You're not yourself without a Snickers. Grab that, change. You're, you're prickly because you're exhausted. Good diet, you're exhausted. You know you're tired when, or you may be tired if, the ceiling for joy is lowered. 
So instead of gladness, like, continuing to increase, it always feels like it just runs into a brick wall. Emotionally, you're spent. You know you're tired when. You may be tired if spiritually. There's a disproportionate time spent doing for God versus being with God. Oh, you get stuff done. You are reliable, yet your soul is wasting away. Bible collecting dust. Journal empty. Crowded loneliness. Because you're surrounded, but you're not attached. You know you're tired when. You may be tired if, spiritually, there's physical presence but emotional distance. So you show up. You show up. But you're not here. Some of you are already like, man, he's like 20 minutes in. How much longer has he got? And that's okay on some levels. You're not, you're not here. Oh, can you imagine a relationship like that? We know it. Man, I have ADD strong. So I chase butterflies all the time. In preaching, one of the ways I know the Holy Spirit is leading me is there's butterflies I don't chase. I'm like, thank you, Holy Spirit, because I was just going to go get that. He's like, mm, stick to the stick, stick. And in relationships with people in me, they could tell when I'm chasing butterflies, when I'm not here. That's how some of us are. We're physically present, but we're emotionally, we're gone. We're not here. And it's attached to exhaustion. You know you're tired when. You may be tired if, spiritually, your overall outlook is bleak. I've learned to listen to the verbs and the tenses we use when we talk about Jesus and relationship with him. And when there's a lot of past tense, we did that versus future tense, I'm anticipating this. Exhaustion has overtaken us. This provides a window into weariness. Is that you? Did you find yourself in all of that? Caution, if it is, you're not crazy, but you're not safe either. Because we have to be aware of the relationship between exhaustion and escapism. Some of the reason why we're binging and gorging is because we're self-medicating because we're tired. We're tired. It's all over us. This window into weariness also provides an opportunity for all of us to make a subversive prayer. Jesus, expose the exhaustion. Jesus, expose the exhaustion. If I'm not going to see it, for myself, Jesus, would you expose the exhaustion? And as we pray that subversive prayer to be exposed, to be unraveled and laid bare before others and before God himself, then we immediately move to preach truth to our hearts. And the truth we preach to our hearts is that God makes good on the promises he makes and the invitations he gives. That's God. God makes good on the promises he makes and the invitations that he gives. In other words, when we realize the extent of our exhaustion, we preach Matthew 11 back to our hearts. Comprehensive, dynamic rest is possible 
and desired for me from the God of the universe. This is such a simple, yet comprehensive, elaborate, enveloping statement. I will give you rest. Now, there's a tension that sits on this text as well, right? The tension is to either or this bad boy. So there's a, again, there's an invitation. There's, there's, a, there's an offer Jesus is making. Jesus is inviting people to experience a particular type of rest. And the tension is to either or it and make it solely physical or emotional or mental or solely spiritual. It's to bifurcate it and it's to separate it. But this isn't either or, it's both and. So he does say, I will give you rest, verse 28. But then he builds that out, verse 29. You will find rest for your souls. This is a very comprehensive rest. The people that he's talking to, the audience that is receiving this word, they are oppressed. They are tired. They are taken advantage of. They are weary, physically. And Jesus stares them at their situation and says, oh, freedom, rest. I have it for you. Let's go. But Matthew 23 is going to bring out some more context to this, and it's going to show that they're not just experiencing these physical dynamics, but there's this spiritual burden that's been laid on them by the Pharisees to distort the Torah, to distort the law of God from being used to kind of just show what does relationship entail and look like and now being distorted and shifted to being used as a means to securing access or grace from God. So you want to know if God loves you? You need to wash your hands some 489 times. You want to know if he loves you? Take the scenic route so that you don't run into these Samaritans. And so forth and so forth and so forth and so forth. And, and Jesus in Matthew 23, he just rails against all of that. And he says, that is a burden. That is a yoke. That is exhausting people spiritually. And so the rest that he is offering them is comprehensive. It is ongoing, it is progressive, and it is decisive. It's dynamic. It deals with the whole person, regardless of the situation. That is the rest Jesus invites people into, but there's more here. There are some sociocultural, theological frameworks that sit on this text that build out the dynamic of the rest that Jesus invites people to receive. We know this to be true because in the Jewish culture, rest was at the center. In their understanding of the scriptures, rest is at the center. It is profound for them. It drives them. Their entire story in the Bible is the pursuit and experience of rest. Even so, as you start to see the maiming people 
in Genesis. You get to Noah and they're like, wait a second, we have seen the brokenness of humanity, sin, and what it is doing and destroying relationships and how it is wreaking havoc all around us and wreaking havoc inside our souls. And we're thinking back to God's promise that he is going to deal with the things that burden us. And now you get Noah and they name him Noah because it's rest. Will this be the child that finally brings rest. It's the whole entire story. And so when they hear Jesus' words, they hear something that we may not naturally hear, but we absolutely need to. They hear this promise, this invitation, as not merely an antidote to fatigue. Because rest isn't merely eliminating fatigue. Because in their story, in our story, Christianity has Eastern roots. In our story, God rests. And it wasn't because he was tired. Have you seen that SpongeBob meme? Where he's like, SpongeBob has a hand on his, he's, yes, it's from, that whole Jelly Bob episode where he wanted to be natural, so he took off his, it was a fair situation. And then it's usually followed by, you may be tired, blah, 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 similar to what we did earlier. When God rested, it wasn't like, oh, man, hanging up these moons and the stars really wore me out. Oh my good, yo, like the energy it took to form man and then Eve from his rib, oh, I need to catch my breath. God didn't rest because he was tired. God rested so that he could set apart this blessed reality and dynamic and reflect on the goodness that was to create this space to experience joy. So when, when they hear rest, and we should hear it too, it's not merely the antidote to fatigue, it is an invitation to experience joy and wholeness. Shalom. Furthermore, the rest that Jesus invites people to receive, quite frankly, means it's not something we earn, it's just something that we enjoy. There's not, come and get this rest, and here's a laundry list of stuff that you need to do so you can finally say, I've earned it. It's come and get this rest because I want it for you. Additionally, look at the pronouns here. I mean, read with me. Come to me, my, from me, my yoke, my burden. Do you see that? He's like, I'm not just trying to take something away from your life. I'm trying to produce something in your life, namely, greater relationship with me. That the rest Jesus invites people to receive isn't primarily the absence of work. It's the presence of God. So the exhaustion that we feel that we can have eliminated will not come from just removing certain stuff. It doesn't work that way. It'll come from presence. One of the things that just sits on this, and we have to see it, is as Jesus is making this statement, it is not divorced from the reality of what it's going to take to accomplish it. He is making the statement, rest is yours 
if you want it, please take it. And simultaneously, he is conscious of the work he's going to have to do so that we could experience rest. A work of going without so that we could go with. A work where he is beaten and bloodied and crucified for us. This is what the author of Hebrews says. That this is the pathway to this greater experience of rest. A bloody cross. Thus again, this rest is bathed with tender love, grace, and care that it is worth Christ dying for so we could have. There's more here. Let me move on. Last category. This tender yet ferocious call to action. Verse 29, verse 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's 29, verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is like, yo, this is for you. You can have it. But to receive it, there's an action we take, and it's taken upon his yoke. Now, that yoke imagery, is, again, it's frequent throughout the scriptures because they were an agrarian and agricultural societies, and so if you want to communicate, you're going to pull stuff from the culture that they're living in. And a yoke was what you would attach to two animals to accomplish a task, usually oxen. But it ended up evolving into this more dynamic spiritual metaphor of being yoked or being brought under somebody else's authority. Submission, if you will. And so what he's saying here is when he's saying, yo, take my yoke upon you, there's at least two things that we have to see. The first is we need to really correct how we understand easy, okay? I, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of the way that's translated as easy because of the way we think of easy in our cultural context. We think easy and we think the absence of difficulty, right? I passed that test. If you put the FSA this week, you're like, oh my God, that was easy. It wasn't difficult. That is not Christianity at all. There is nothing easy about turning the other cheek. There's nothing easy about stepping into forgiveness when you have been wronged. That ain't easy. The easy about choosing patience. When every fiber of your being wants it right now, there is nothing easy about withholding because you believe God is true. None of that is easy. That's not what that means. He's not saying his yoke is easy as in the absence of difficulty. Easy there really communicates this idea of good and pleasant. In other words, it's just a reiteration. My yoke brings joy. And it's light. You're not doing the heavy lifting. I am. So that's at least one of the things we see there. But then the other thing that we see there is that he is saying, you got to learn from me. You bring your life under my leadership and my love, and you will find rest. You got to learn from me. What are you learning? Oh, you're learning what I think about you. It's what we sung. You're already loved. You're already chosen, and that's enough. 
what are you learning? You're learning that you're connected to a people. And this people that you're connected to, it is their responsibility and privilege to help you move towards greater experiences of rest. What are you learning? You are learning that I have a plan, not just for you and not just for others, but for all of life and human history. And when it's all said and done, I will scream this until I die. When it's all said and done, all things new. That is history's end. That's where God is driving this thing. What are you learning? You're learning the depths of grace and the good news, the gospel. What are you learning? You are learning that rest is a gift. Receive it, enjoy it, chill, breathe. Old school mace, breathe, stretch, shake, let it go. I dated myself, found out I was a geriatric millennial today. Oh, oh my God, what is that? Praise God. Let me close. He says this, I am gentle and lowly in heart. One of the most tender words we'll ever hear from the Lord. It's a call back to Isaiah 42, one through four, Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth as the coastlands wait for his law. So much there, but did you see that middle part? A bruised reed he's not going to break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Oh, in the context of this passage, it's so vibrant. This bruised reed that is at the precipice of being broken, that is at the edge of itself, he is tender with it. Faintly burning wick, he's not going to snuff out. This ember that is burning and the, the light and the fire is, is fading. And all it would take is a sneeze or, or a gentle wind to extinguish it. And he's like, I'm going to wrap my arms around it and protect it. That's what we have. Safe, strong hands that for people like you and me, who feel like we're at the end of ourselves, the edge of life, exhaustion is here. We stared into the window of weariness and are like, yeah, that's me, and then some. He's like, cool, I'm tender with you, and I'm going to walk with you until this bruised reed is no longer bruised. It's made whole. And this faintly burning fire it's a flame again. Would we receive those words as true? Pray with me. Jesus, I um, just feel like there's much more to say, but it's a good stopping point. No one knows the depth of our exhaustion like us and you. 
Some of us may see it. We stare into each other's eyes and we know the truth. We're not crazy. We're not unaware. But we don't know the depths. You do. Um, but God, I just pray, we pray collectively that you would just envelop the wearied heart with the words of this passage. Yeah. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.